0: The thing about this cat, I think, is it knew that. It was keeping this methodical line, which made it completely invisible from the farms and the fermets. The dogs would never have seen it. That's the first question. Did you take a photo? And so it immediately put you on the defensive. Because when you say no, people say, well, it didn't happen. You're on the back foot of what's your little story. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter and thanks for joining me. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 66 of Big Cat Conversations. We are recording this episode in mid-December 2021. And we're going to have incidents from Norfolk, from Ireland and Herefordshire reported to you and discussed with our two guests. And we welcome Annie and Shelley. These two guests are doyens of Facebook, Big Cat Sightings groups, and we'll be discussing Facebook reports, Big Cat Sightings later on in the show as well. So plenty coming your way. Welcome, Annie. Welcome, Shelley. And Shelley, it's first time I've met you today, tonight, and uh, we've emailed for a while. But I gather you're deeply involved in big cat Facebook work at the moment, but you've not actually seen one. So, how did you get interested in the subject?
1: I think probably like a lot of people, I was just the kid who heard about some stuff in the nineties, was enthralled by Beast of Bodmin and all that kind of thing, and then forgot about it for many years until we were walking on Bodmin a couple of years ago and I started telling my husband about it and he had no idea and the conversation just kind of led me onto Facebook yeah so I'm not a big cat expert at all I'm more of a people person who's found myself deeply involved as you put it (laughs)
0: I know that you help out your Facebook group a lot and you're involved in networking with other people involved in running Facebook groups. And so tell us about your affiliation with your particular Facebook group that you help out with.
1: I'm an admin on Mysterious Big Cats of Great Britain, which is one of the many big Facebook groups. I was just a member and found myself telling off two other members for arguing about whether or not black pumas existed and telling them not to be so silly. There were a few more swear words from them, not from me. And I was invited to become an admin for my skillful diffusion of the situation, which is kind of how it all began. And then I thought, oh, I'd better pay a bit more attention to the subject because now if I post anything, the word admin comes up next to my name. So I'd better try and sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, I still don't, but <laughs> the name out the word admin comes up.
0: Okay, you taught yourself into a position. The skill you had in facilitating that discussion about black pumas was simply that you wanted people to keep an open mind and not be uh, rowdy. Not that you had a particular view on black pumas, presumably.
1: Yeah, I I had no idea. I had to go and Google it myself and then um and then report back and say, well boys, I've um I've Googled and you know it's you know it might be this, but the jury's out, but let's be nice. But I think it's because I'm like I said, I'm a people person. You know, I've been a teacher for 16 years and um so I'm used to telling young people normally not to have arguments. I was surprised that these men were considerably older than me and I had to do it, but it's the same skill. My skill is definitely people and not cats really although I'm interested
0: we'll return to some of that stuff perhaps a bit later on and talk about your survey work and we ought to point out that you're a new mum and that um, we risk being time called out by a baby baby Edith who's with you or not far away so it's either my if we go on too long my dog's gonna start barking or Mm. your baby's gonna start calling for your attention so those are the the background sound issues we may get Our second guest is Annie from Ireland. Good evening, Annie. We know you from episode 39 about your reports years ago in Somerset, Annie, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 93, 94, and I was episode 39 of your podcast. So, yeah, I live in Ireland now, Although my sightings, you know, you can go back and listen to them in episode 39. They were actually from Somerset just before we moved over here, so... We've been living here now for a long, long while, you know. But like Shelly there, I'm also admin on the Irish Facebook group of Big Cats of Ireland. I'm admin with one other guy there, Jim, and then we have a few moderators. And Shelly has just joined us now as a moderator as well, because we needed some extra help, you know. In fact, I needed another female there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was why. And it's nice to have Shelly with us. So, yeah, I've got a, a real interest in them I didn't until I actually had my sightings I didn't really give it much thought at all you know I'd heard of the whole like Shelley the beast of Padmin and things like that but I hadn't really given it much thought until I kept seeing the same cat over and over again and then you know it just came to the forefront so yeah that's me here in Ireland
0: Great. Th- thank you, Annie. And we're actually going to just promote your artwork because I know that you do, as a sort of little sideline now in Ireland, you do illustrations of people's pets. And we were emailing about this a few months ago. <laughs> you suddenly thought, why don't I do a lynx? Why don't I do a puma? I think you're going to do a black leopard at some stage. But tell us about the challenge of doing a Eurasian lynx. And By the way, what a gorgeous picture. And I'm, in fact, I'm the proud owner of this. And it is sitting in the room I'm here at the moment framed, and you just use those coloured pencils, nothing else.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I I do. Normally, I do pet portraits. You know, sometimes they're memorial portraits for people who have sadly lost their animals. But I do all sorts, horses, cats, dogs, you know. But then I thought, like you said, that I would actually try the links. And it was a challenge, not as much of a challenge as the puma was. But the link was just so much going on in the coat there, so many areas. And yeah, it's just, they're a professional colour pencil. Um, Sometimes I will put a layer of pastel underneath, so I'll paint pastel or pan pastel underneath, and then go in over the top with the colour pencil just to get the defined details. But that one was actually solidly colour pencil, and they don't fade in anything You'll with it.
0: Yeah, OK. And how different is it from doing a pet? Is it, the references are just photos mainly because you're not working from the pet, somebody's pet that's sitting in front of you, are you? You're working from photos, whether you're doing a large cat like this or, a, or somebody's pet. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. People send me photographs of their pet. And obviously, the clearer the photograph, the better the actual portrait will be after it. It's much the same, actually, in some ways, as a household domestic cat, because there's varying lengths of fur. You get longer fur on the neck, shorter fur on the face sometimes. The puma that we're just looking at here now, that was an actual huge challenge because of the shading. Also, there was some daylight hitting that puma on the right-hand side of its face. So it's hard just to get the variation. And, And like you say, Rick, they're coats actually varies so much from animal to animal. You can use a bit of poetic license, but this was taken from an actual photograph. So I just wanted to get it exactly the same as the photograph, which I think it is.
0: Yeah. Puma conchola means cat of one colour, which, of course, they're not. But sandy brown or honey blonde is how they're often described. I heard somebody on a podcast recently describe their sighting of a melanistic one which they claimed as very charcoal dark coloured and you could tell it was a a mountain lion because it had uh, even darker ears and darker tail tip, which of course Mm. they do. They do have uh, black-backed ears and black tail tip. So incidentally, we will put these on the website for this edition, episode 66, so people can see the pictures um, that we're talking about today on episode 66, on references and links on the Big Cat Conversations website. Now quickly, before we move on, we are going to do word of the week because we're talking about the ears of these cats and the word of the week for this time is ocelli i think that's how you pronounce it ocellus as well ocelli's plural ocellus singular it's nature's eye that sort of eye-like in nature and a classic one would be the eye in a peacock's feather so that's really an example of the eye in nature but we've got that eye in nature at the back of a cat's ear. Now, this shading on the back of ears is very strong on a tiger and serval and savannah cats. And I was looking at my model, toy model cats, and the best one, for the example, was the Scottish wildcat. And, of course, this is the pretend they use for communication when they're flattening their ears in a conflict situation and they want to show a threatening pattern to a creature that's going to attack them or confront them it's the ocelli which is nature's own sort of imitation eye many cats have on the back of their ears so if you'd have turned that ear around on your puma illustration you'd have got it mainly black but you would have had the pumas ocellus or ocelli so that's word of the week and we'll move on now and we're going to move to norfolk we were going to have a witness on who can't make it i'm afraid adam from norfolk from near king's lynn from the wash in northwest norfolk because On the 8th of November, I think it was, 2021, there was a double sighting. Somebody took a video footage in the afternoon on the 8th of November and somebody had a sighting in the morning. And Shelley, you're going to tell us about Adam's sighting on the morning because Adam can't make it tonight. But uh, Adam was on Facebook on that day talking about it. And this was before he knew that video footage had been taken that afternoon about... Three hours later, at about two miles away, he was coincidentally a listener of the podcast. tell us what happened, Shelley, if you could.
1: So I can read out what we had on Facebook He reported a sighting today about ten thirty am north side of the a17 between King's Lynn and Sutton Bridge. I was traveling eastbound as a passenger in a car. The weather was bright and sunny. While passing the fields about 50 metres away, I spotted what I initially thought was a massive dog. But as we got closer, it wasn't a dog. It was heading north purposefully along a field boundary path where tractors had been driving. It just looked powerfully built and very dark brown or black colour. Its tail was long, which hung behind it. And the way it was walking, it didn't match how a dog walks. The other thing was there was no owner from what I could see. And I could see the whole field. My estimation was it was a lot larger than a German Shepherd, but visibly more muscular and built. How I, that's how I can explain its size and appearance. It just stood out to me as unusual, which is what caught my eye. I'm in awe at the moment. And he's got 43 people liking it and going, wow, and 30 comments.
0: Great. The comment to me was, on the email to me, was that he was 100% It was clear and bright daylight sighting. And, of course, later in the day, somebody got footage, and we're very pleased that Susie is actually allowing us to show the footage. She got it from the window of her house, and her husband actually was watching it through binoculars as well, so he got an even better view. But, Annie, any comments on Adam's sighting as you read it on the day? Do you remember your reaction to it when it came through?
2: Yeah. I didn't realize that it was quite so close to Susie's. Actually, when I very first read it, I just thought, wow, that is a really good sighting because he just he just described it really, really well. He went into detail. Um, I think one of the reasons that he got such a good view of it is because he was actually passenger. He wasn't driving. And I have wondered if he had been driving, would he have actually seen that cat so clearly? But obviously because he was sat there as passenger, you do, you have time to look around, don't you? And I I do. I look into the fields just because you don't always want to look straight ahead, you know. So he had a perfect view of this cat and he was just taken about and he did describe it so very, very well. It was one of the best descriptions that I'd read. But no, I didn't realise that it was actually quite so close to Susie's because I don't actually know that area at all. Hmm. I've never been to Norfolk.
0: No okay and it must have been thank you and it must have been very reassuring to him to have that footage I think for some people it sort of validates his sighting that we've got this footage I know there was a reaction to Susie's footage on Facebook which you guys will explain in a minute let's have a look at Susie's footage then actually this is a still first that's a screenshot from it now this was Annie was it 250 meters away Susie said
2: I think it was something like that, Vic. Yeah, it was a fair distance away, and everybody was actually commenting, "What are the line? What is the big black line going across the actual picture, the photograph?" But she said it was actually a um, electricity cable mm-hmm. because it did seem quite strange.
0: Yeah. Yeah, hmm. I think that'll become apparent when we look at the video in a minute. In fact, in as we watch the video in a minute, the tail does not really become apparent, and I think that's uh, one thing which this video video sequence lacks. So, we're going to show it now. So, coming up, on feet. we could see those power cables now, and. Uh, We're seeing a cat like um, profile 250 meters away, according to Susie. Let's show it once again, and um, just a few meters the other side of quite a tall, dry stone wall in uh, agricultural fields across from a house. I think in the second video, we actually see how far away this is because this is zoomed in completely. We'll get Shelly and Annie to explain Susie's sort of explanation of it as on Facebook that day, but it's a great distance away so we're going to now look at the next one when we're just showing the distance back to the location where it's being filmed from because you really get the appreciation across the landscape now that this is a long way back to base where the camera is out the window. And it's in a sort of um, second floor window, so we, we're elevated, and
2: yeah,
0: the a, we're hearing the voice of Susie and her family, I think, in the room here. There you go, that's how far away it is, but it's on Zoom. That's
2: how it is.
1: That's fun.
0: <laughs> okay. There we go. Right. Can you guys tell me what you thought of it at the time and then tell me how the reaction was on Facebook? Because I think actually largely got quite a positive reaction on Facebook, but it was spoilt a bit by some of the sort of more miserable, spiteful points. But anyway, how did you guys react to it when you saw it first of all? And we're going to go with Annie first on this, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. I
2: actually, first off, I thought it was a fantastic video. One of the reasons I thought it was so good, because although Susie was zoomed right in, she actually held that phone still. And I know how hard that is to do, to actually get a good... I mean, that was clear to me. She held it still. She must have had it resting on the windowsill so is all I could say, or on the actual frame of the window. And she said to me that she actually swapped phones, because first of all, the very first video she tried to take was with an iPhone and it didn't have the proper zoom capacity. And so she threw it down and picked up her husband's um, Samsung Android and started filming with that. And she got a better look at it, you know, that way. I just thought it was a really good video. Mm. You can see the cat is aware of what's going on around itself, but it's purposefully walking along there. And she just did amazingly, I think, to actually Mm. capture that, you know, and and to film it to be so quick thinking to grab a phone and, and film it, because she could have just watched, you know, and not done anything about it. But I just thought it was excellent. And she did get some very good reactions on Facebook. Like you say, Rick, a lot of people commented positively. And then, as we're going to discuss later on, a lot of people started um, not being quite some ass.
0: Whichever way you look at it, Adam's citing report, without anything to back it up on its own, of course, benefits from that footage being two miles away three hours later in the day and vice versa. Her footage helps from Adam's completely independent statement about seeing one close by earlier in the day. So they do sort of support each other, which is which is helpful. I think the comment I'd make is that I I think I read in the papers when she was quoted in the press um, that she said, she wished she'd filmed it for a bit longer and I think maybe that's where she might have got a picture of the tail a better better view of the tail because it's if you're a novice on this you're probably not looking for the tail so much as somebody like us who knows the tail is such a a key factor in the in the list of features you're you're trying to check because it's uh, normally a very long tubular tail that helps uh, reinforce it as a potential large cat. I think we'll see an example of that in a photo later on from Herefordshire, albeit on a, on a smaller cat. So Shirley, what did you reckon?
1: I think same as Annie, when I first saw her, I thought, wow, that's really good. Um, I remember the thing that first caught my eye was the wool. And, um, you know, people always talk about scaling and just thinking, well, you know that wall. It might be a particularly tall or small wall, but either way, that's definitely a some kind of dry stone wall. And if that was a domestic cat, you'd barely see it at that distance. Like most people who saw that footage, as soon as I saw it, I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is a this is a good one." We do see a lot of very fuzzy videos where it really could be a domestic cat or a bin bag or whatever. But this was one that I think made a lot of people stop and go, oh, right. Wow, that's that's pretty good. And as you said, the reaction from most people on Facebook was like, wow, that's amazing. There were other comments that were more dismissive, you know, which was the downside.
0: It was a shame that Susie took it down soon after she put it up, but I mean, her reasoning was that she was getting quite a, a miserable, rude reaction, and she—I think she felt well—won't we bother with this lot then. In that case, but so, mm-hmm. Annie, you're going to explain what happened, aren't you? The process of events, and and because it did then go to the press, and, and we could all see it in the press, but it went off Facebook because of the nature of the trolling comments, perhaps.
2: Yeah. That's right. I mean, I'm just looking at one of her posts here now that she put up that, you know, they were saying, why didn't you go out and and get evidence of it? And actually, she was worried that the cat would still be there, that the cat would um, maul her, in her words, or go for her in some way. She was actually frightened to go back out there and start trying to get measurements quite so soon. And also the farmer had been back in the field. rest of the day and she didn't feel that she was able just to start traipsing across this field climbing over his lawn and, and trying to do whatever was needed and um she says in there that she she got a people were saying that it was a lamb a cow a dog a normal domestic cat they were saying all manner of things other than what it was i mean it's obviously you look it's not a lamb it's not a cow you know it's not rocket science, is it? <laughs> and I think she just got thoroughly fed up of these people calling her out on things. Um, and quite rightly so. She just said that she just didn't care anymore and she just took it down, which is, it is unfortunate. I think when people talk like that on Facebook, they have to realise that they're engaging with somebody. And if you, if you want to say that it's a, a cat or a domestic cat, explain why you think it is a domestic cat. Don't just type domestic and, and leave it and run off, you know, or, oh, no, I think it's there or something stupid, which is what Anne had from Anglesey, you know. So just explain why it is you feel that you've come to this conclusion, because debate is good, but we can all debate things in a really kind way, because it's, it's not nice. There, there are some really awful, rude words that I couldn't even begin to repeat right now. Of what people were saying and even though others were saying you know be nice don't don't be saying this they were just taking no notice whatsoever and in fact there was the word liar used and that's out of order.
0: Mm. Adam said that in contrast he didn't get any people trying to dismiss his testimony but then he had nothing visual to back it up. Shelley did you have a view on on all of this as it was um, uh, kicking off on Facebook on the day and the following day?
1: Yeah I followed it closely it was I think it was on one of my days off what I thought was interesting was there were there were different kind of veins of conversation um you know there were obviously the lots of people who were very positive about it there are the people who like Annie said will just drop in the word domestic not explain it and just leave it and it's quite dim- it's quite dismissive and I think those people aren't trying to be nasty you know it, it probably feels it they're not trying to be nasty but I think they're trying to make out that they are that they have healthy skepticism and they don't want to look gullible I think there's a, a lot of that across the Facebook groups when people look at evidence people don't want to go oh yeah that's definitely a cat in case they look like the silly fool um and unfortunately it just comes across as dismissive as, you know for the person who posted it in good faith um and then yeah there are people who are just outright mean and I think with them it's because they're so desperate for a good video or photo and you know they may or may not have seen something themselves but they're so desperate for there to be real evidence that they feel frustrated when something isn't conclusive and it's difficult for those people in that situation to just bite their tongue a little bit. I don't think anyone on Facebook thinks you know logs on and thinks I'm gonna troll someone today I'm gonna be nasty, but a lot of people lose sight of what's polite or reasonable to say or to ask of someone you know like and he said there were people saying, why didn't you go out to the field and check this and that and this lady she doesn't know what she might be seeing when she gets out there she's nervous but on social media generally people comment before they think often. so um see so yeah, it's tricky.
0: It then becomes just a swapping of opinions for half a day, doesn't it? And you get scores and scores of swapping Mm -hmm. opinions and people thinking that making assumptions about how somebody else should act at the time doesn't get you very far. So that is one of the downsides and problems of Facebook, isn't it? But we're going to talk about some of the upsides as well in a minute. I think this is a problem for any Facebook topic when you get a crowd of people, isn't it? You're going to get some rowdy people uh, and some grenade throwers, and they spoil it for the others who are being decent and well mannered. But you guys must see a fair bit of that. And it's, um, I sometimes wonder how you have the sort of fortitude to keep going every day or, or, or on some kind of rotor system. But um, Annie first, and then Shirley, what drawbacks are there from adminning Facebook groups on big cat sightings? Yeah, well,
2: what we've actually decided to do on the Irish facebook group there is to actually have the post the first initial post on approval so you know they have to answer questions to get into the site i'm quite amazed the number of people who refuse to actually uh, answer any questions and that they're just simply not let in if they don't agree to abide by the rules which one of the rules is no no spamming no trolls no rudeness etc you know kindness and and debate is good but we also, like I say, we have their, um, their posts on approval. But you can only do that on approval if the site is not a public one. So ours is a private one. Facebook will then give you that option. Um, but once they've actually posted once, then we, you can no longer approve their posts, which is another drawback. But we just keep an eye on things. It's actually fairly good. We've not had too much bother at all, really. We've done quite well.
0: Thank you. Shelley.
1: I'd agree. I think the overwhelming experience is, you know, is positive. There's a team of admins in the the group I began adminning in. We've got a kind of constant chat going about people coming in, you know, are they, you know, they haven't agreed to the rules or do they look like they might be a journalist or, you know, what's weird about them? Why only just joined Facebook? Did they get banned before? Or there's all kinds of little things to look out for. But generally people behave themselves and generally people are there because they're curious about the subject you know you say you know I'm not sure how you know how can we put up with the all the aggro being involved in it but actually it, you know on it doesn't feel like we're breaking up fights all the time it, it's mostly just a load of nice people having a chat about something they're curious about and um every now and then somebody's a bit weird I would say there are There are times when you can kind of see it's all about to kick off. And I'd say that that's because the problem with big cat Facebook groups is people who are interested in big cats are not homogenous. There are people who have a very kind of rural existence and there are townies and there are people who have very different views. I mean, any any time anything's posted with the f word in it and i mean fox um <laughs> immediately it kicks off um because there are people who are very pro hunting and people who don't want any creature harmed in any way but there are lots of divisive topics and everyone who's joined a facebook group about big cats is interested in big cats but they will you know potentially disagree on everything else that's a lovely thing about the groups as well it means that i will end up having conversations with people i would never have Met, um, or even wanted to meet potentially, and 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 that's what everyone's experiencing. We're all it's like it's a cross section of society. The only thing we have in common is that we're curious about big cats. It makes for some very interesting debates, which are very healthy and wonderful. And it also every now and then spills into wild arguments, but usually, usually about non big cat things. Or it's it's either do we trust that big cat evidence, or it's about foxes. but it's but it's actually a a very positive environment most of the time
0: yeah it is a shame when the sort of disagreements and the stroppiness does make somebody like Susie take a baton, who yeah. wants to come and meet these people and offer something. Uh, but that you know that that is going to happen once in a while. So anyway, if we can move on, talk about the positive sides. I mean, it does bring new information. It brings new people to the scene. You know, we had the body of Bannockburn issue mm-hmm. that that person reported one in Scotland found their local Facebook group and and uh, that's how they knew where to report some information they thought might be relevant. So it is influential now in the big cat world you know 10 years ago when we didn't really have facebook to that extent it it wasn't sort of on the scene i think one of the issues though it's that there are various national and local groups and so some people may not know who to report something to and previously they might have just reported to their local paper or a local recorder. So there's now a whole range of sort of actors on the scene from Facebook groups to other people and other media. So there's that kind of fracturing of the whole process. So, I mean, you guys help the Facebook groups network and coordinate amongst each other as well. So that's going on a bit now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, very much. There's Actually, you've just reminded me, one of the other admins of the, um, another admin in the group that I'm an admin in, he, he's always talking about trying to unite groups somehow. It feels like this epic project that kind of is just in the early stages and talking about trying to make kind of um, like super group, you know, like like in Band-Aid where you get all the pop stars together and trying to get kind of admins and key people from different groups to work together more because you're right that Facebook's this incredible wealth of people and knowledge and network capacity if it can just be coordinated, yeah. Which kind of inspired me with my survey that I know we're going to talk about. It's a huge opportunity for figuring out what people see and know.
0: Yeah, and that's about the efficiency of the communication, isn't it? Because if anything um, really interesting hits one of the Facebook groups, it tends to quickly cascade round mm-hmm. to most of the others, anyway, doesn't it? So, yeah, and there's Very a much. lot of repetition, but that's the nature of, it, of of it evolving. It's constantly going to ebb and flow and evolve, isn't it? So. Yeah, and of course, this podcast benefits greatly from being promoted through the Facebook group. So, you know, it certainly has its upsides as far as myself and this podcast is concerned. So thank you to all the admins and other people who share it on, on the various Facebook groups, national and local. Yeah, so Shelley, we're going to talk about now about a survey you did because you thought you may as well take the opportunity to ask people who were witnesses across Facebook groups and we're going to hear all about what turned up on your survey.
1: I think we said earlier, I'm more of a people person and increasingly a bit of a data geek. And so while I was on maternity leave, kind of just idly browsing Facebook a lot, I was also doing my master's in neuroscience and learning all about people's brains and so on. And so I got really into data and research and studying people in efficient ways, combined with my time on Facebook scrolling through big cat stuff. I started to be aware that there was this incredible opportunity to study what people were seeing but it wasn't a, you know it wasn't happening in a very rigorous organized way so I thought what happens if I just start surveying people emailed you a little bit and bothered you quite a lot with lots of questions and then basically just put out a survey on a Microsoft Forms platform which is free and just wanted to see what we'd get back and had no idea what I'd get back it was just curious so I'm going to share what has already been shared on the Facebook groups just a kind of summary of what happened so this survey ran from June to October this year up here it says 137 responses I ended up getting a few more it was a really positive response there were reports from all over the UK and Ireland in line with what you've been saying in your podcasts Most of the reported cats were big black cats or panthers or melanistic leopards or some kind of big black cat. A smaller proportion puma, a smaller proportion lynx and smaller proportion than that. You know, goodness knows what or who knows. Just over 100 people reported a sighting. There were almost a quarter of people reporting things like vocalisation or like hearing something or some kind of physical evidence. Almost a quarter of people reported multiple encounters and over a quarter of people reported a close encounter, like being followed or being very close to a cat. What I thought was really interesting was a huge proportion, well over half the people said that they hadn't reported it anywhere else. And I thought, wow, there's there's loads of people dotted around Facebook with these really interesting stories. And if they hadn't bothered to just click on this survey because they just happened to see this link, that story might never be heard. So I'm really glad, you know, that we've done this survey. I've had to carry on with this now. It's sort of like open this massive can of worms because people have continued to report even after I closed the survey. The sightings spanned many years, going back from the I think the earliest one was 1950s through to you know, a week or so before the survey closed. There were loads of really positive comments about cats and people generally being very happy. they are among us believing that they are among us and there were loads of amazing and arguably quite alarming stories I wish I could kind of describe all of them in more detail because it was incredible to read but obviously it would be unethical and just not allowed for me to share everybody's details and what they said but there were some incredible stories that people shared I've got a big list on the screen now of all the different places that were listed as a location i had to change if people gave the name of a, a road or a postcode or a grid reference or something and um, i had to change that before sharing it because especially if it was something recent we didn't want people going sightseeing it's just amazing the range of places that were kind of included and then this is the exciting moment i'm going to give a sneak preview for next year's survey because um as i said people just kept on reporting even after I said thank you well done I'm done for the year Um, and they just kept coming in so I had to start a new survey and already there are 22 people that's in the last month 19 of whom reporting a sighting nine of whom have reported a close encounter some of the some of what's been written is really quite fascinating and a little bit scary there's a lot of wonderful detail a lot of variety I also, I've been a bit more savvy this time and have given, used more multiple choice questions so that I can produce pretty little pie charts and bar graphs rather than having to manually read through and make them myself, which was horrible. But again, the pattern seems to be mostly big black cats, then pumas, then lynx, then something else. The most commonly reported timescale is within the last two years. Then it kind of levels out and there's another bit of a peak between 1996 and 2000. But again, a a huge span of big cat sightings. things. And I'm just sharing a few of the anonymous responses to the optional questions because it's just amazing the things that people are reporting already. People reporting goats being taken or a cow being attacked. And again, most people haven't reported this anywhere but Facebook. It's just amazing what we're getting in already. And I'd love to share more. I'm really excited by one that's quite, that definitely counts as London. I can't say where, but I'm excited because I'm in London. I get out of London a lot, but I do wish that when I was just on my nice normal dog walk, I'd have a chance of seeing a cat, but I'm pretty sure I don't. Although the report that I read today has made me question that. So I'll look out a bit more. So it's been amazing. I've got a little bar chart summarizing people's general views on big cats inspired by rick's questions at the end of his podcasts just asking people generally what they think of big cats and the two most commonly ticked answers are it's exciting and they should be studied and understood um most people are very happy about big cats being around and there are a few people who say it's frightening or it's bad because they're not native but mostly there's positive feeling about having big cats in the country. Um, and I'd love to ask, sort of consider why people would report them on Facebook, but not anywhere else. That's the thing I'm going to leave hanging there.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much, Shelley. And also thank you for sharing the data. And I know you've had people's agreement for this with Andrew Hemmings at Royal Agricultural University uh, who's got a student working on this sort of thing this year and I remember when you passed material over to him you said um, note that one of the Gloucestershire ones says they're 400 metres away from the Royal Agricultural University and I remember <laughs> a few years ago Frank Tunbridge had one that was must have been a similar sort of distance from the Royal Agricultural University and on the outskirts of Cirencester. so um, maybe it's very fitting that they're interested and um, involved in the topic but I remember when I was at a research um, committee when they were discussing whether they should pursue studying big cats it was a general consensus that they were going to but the uh, the principal at the time just concluded and summed up the meeting he said now can we just um, conclude Uh, we genuinely do feel I think he was basically doing a sort of a risk check on on the sort of status of the of the university and the colleagues and everything and, and checking that did they really want to allow uh, the colleagues to go ahead with studying big cats at a british university and, and one of the most um, robust scientists amongst because there were social scientists and scientists and natural scientists and agricultural scientists around the table the guy who i say was a biological scientist very uh, rigorous he said, yes, we're confirming that we are going ahead. And he said, even if there were no big cats in the country, there's a large perception amongst a lot of our stakeholders and our associates in this mm-hmm. sector that this university deals with who clearly perceive that there are big cats around. So simply that factor alone is worth studying, whether they're real or not, uh, which was a very uh, good point, particularly because he was a you know natural scientist. Yes, yeah, Shelley, your point on that?
1: Yeah, whether or not there are these big cats out there there are people out there who see them and that's and i think that's what's interesting is they are this they're an important bit of of our culture now
0: annie any comments you have on Shelley's survey and of course a very good use of um facebook's assets isn't it you know a lot of people who are interested you may as well ask them the right questions and um what what do you reckon annie
2: yeah, I was quite interested to see Shelley do the survey, actually. It was a, it was a really nice surprise. I filled it in. I, I think everybody who who had seen anything or any vocalisation or anything filled it in. They, they went for it. And, and uh, why not? You know, we're interested. We've seen something. And it was nice that it actually you actually put it right across all of the, the cat groups, as far as I could see. I don't think you missed anybody out. So you grabbed everybody, even like here in Ireland, like you say, you had responses from us. Because for a long time, I don't think anybody actually thought that there were large cats in Ireland at all. So that's come to the fore now. And in fact, we even had a sighting last week, which was very interesting as well. Mm. But I think it was just really nice to see. It was really engaging for people. And I'm glad that they replied as well, especially when they replied so honestly to you. And then, like you say, the reports are
0: still coming in. Can I just check, Shelley, you're asking a question that I think is a a very crucial one and that comes through, and I think in about 20% of the reports to me, and that is, did a horse or dog or another animal see it or experience it or hear it or react to that basically is the critical factor. It shows it's not just a human reaction, That uh, it's not just a sighting from mm-hmm. a human being, it's an, a response from another animal that is also picking up the same thing. That takes it beyond this sort of thing about a mis-sighting or, or a human perception and a human's dredging something up from their psyche or something. Are you asking that question? I
1: don't think I've got it well that, that's what's interesting is I don't have it on there as one of the kind of tick box multiple choice options and yet it keeps coming up in people's accounts and actually um you think, another thing that thing is it's not just about the reactions of dogs or cats I mean they're the domestic animals people tend to be out and about with most but also um there have been some other really interesting interactions noted with big cats and other creatures like there was somebody reported in the the main first survey that there was a, a leopard-like big black cat walking across a field being followed at a safe distance by two hares which I thought was remarkable but I imagine that would be quite good for scale you know you can see if it's bigger than a, the hair and um, somebody else reported it was a really interesting thing just an odd situation where she'd gone to check her ponies in the field and saw movement kind of a bit further away and realised there were two stags who had got caught. I guess they were fighting and they'd got themselves caught in a fence and she would had to call the RSPCA out for them. But she saw a large black cat watching them. And then when she showed up, it kind of skulked off into a, a bush. But again, it, you know, that'd be a good way of judging scale because you can compare it to the deer and they're stationary. Bless them. It's amazing this big cat area. You realise loads of other stuff is going on with loads of other animals and there are lots of animals that can be used as a measure of scale or behaviour. But yeah, it's interesting that dogs and horses come up frequently, even though I haven't put it as an option. Mm. And I think but I think you're right, it, it indicates a lot about cats and the reality of them.
0: Yes, it reinforces all of that it is a helpful reinforcing factor, certainly, and takes it beyond the sort of human realm, as it were, if you want to suggest it's all in the mind, as it were. Mm. Now, talking about things in the mind, it's been suggested we ought to discuss, very briefly, mental health issues, and I know that there's two ways of looking at this. It can't be good for people's state of mind to be rowing all day on Facebook or, or getting grumpy and cross <laughs> with each other on Facebook or getting obsessed with the subject and not doing anything else and spending all your time online becoming consumed by big cats. Although I I think a witness having a profound um, encounter often will be consumed because they're looking for answers. For some people it is actually quite a traumatic experience and it's going to live with them. On the positive side there's the issue of people love a mystery and um, people love the detective work can be involved in this and people enjoy getting outside and and tracking and looking for the signs of nature hopefully the positives outweigh the negatives what do you pick up from your Facebook perspectives on people's state of mind and big cats and and mental health issues Shirley do you want to go first on this and then Annie
1: yeah um, I think everything that you say you're completely right all of those things are true all of those possibilities What's interesting is, is, um, is the blurred lines as well, because I would say there are lots of people who are probably a little bit too obsessed. You know, arguably me or Annie or you even, you know, we're all probably a little bit obsessed. And but that isn't necessarily a bad thing if we're happy. But also the obsession is, is a positive and a negative, you know, if it gives you something fun to do or if it you know, means that you never speak to your family or never, never stop looking at your phone unless you recruit your family as the staff. One thing that you just made me think about just then was the the worry that people might have to do with being believed. I think that's a big anxiety that a lot of people have. And I think that's one, it's one reason that people get so obsessed is if they've seen something or believe they've seen something or heard something or whatever, there's a huge stress involved in like you know who I should or shouldn't tell and who I can speak to and if I tell someone will they believe me and will people think that I'm mad will people think that I'm seeing or hearing things and i think that's probably why people are quite open on facebook rather than just whoever they've chatted to in the pub because you're likely at least to encounter a few other people who um you know who are going to believe you and i think for that reason that's why it's so good for mental health as well i think that's why it gives people this kind of safe space to say what they were too scared to say anywhere else. And that's really important and really positive. But I'd say it's really good for people and really bad at the same time. But I feel really good because I spend a lot of time on there.
0: Can I quickly just go on about the point about the desperation to be believed, which I quite understand. And so many people, especially early on after the encounter, they really want some kind of affirmation and to to speak to somebody who's going to give them time. And it's almost like a counselling situation, isn't it? I remember a guy who used to run... A group of uh, big cat enthusiasts and uh, investigators about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, he reckoned that a couple of people who'd hoaxed things had hoaxed things because they were so desperate to be believed and hadn't been believed. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted to try and draw attention to the subject. So they did it by hoaxing, even though originally what they'd seen was perhaps legit. But um, there you are, the lengths that people might go to. So
1: mm, I, I could 100% see how people could do that because you'd be that desperate to be believed. That mm. um, yeah. no, makes total sense. It gives me never-ending anxiety that I saw a black blob in a field in Northumberland this summer, and the car was going too fast for me to say whether, you know, in my head, it's definitely a cat, but my husband reminds me that it could have been a dog with no owner or a bin bag. It kills me. And I can imagine for people who definitely did see a, more than a, a blob and people have dismissed it, it must really, really hurt and, and also make you worry a little bit like, God, am I going mad? So you can totally see how people fixate on this idea of being believed.
2: I totally agree. I think there's good and there's bad. I think the good outweighs the bad.
0: This is on mental health, on mental health and state of mind issues.
2: That's right. On mental health and as regards Facebook and things like this, I think the good really does outweigh the bad. I think when you actually have a sighting as well yourself, you start to question yourself anyway. You run through in your own mind. Is it this? Is it that? So but then you come to the conclusion and you know exactly what you saw. Even now, my husband and I will say we did see that, didn't we? Yes, we did. We know what we saw. And it is a therapeutic thing and if you don't if you if you were alone when you saw it, you need to talk to somebody about it you need to be able to work it through. and I think Facebook is a great thing for that as well. But like I say that the the good outweighs the bad but at the moment with covid and you know we've had numerous lockdowns, some people are fairly fragile with their mental health. and if they do in all good faith go on to Facebook and say what they saw, and automatically people shoot them down that's not really very healthy for them so it's it's always better just to give some people the benefit of the doubt like you say some people will hoax but it, it, they really are in the minority so um, i think it's definitely it's for the good
0: yeah do you think it's also just the nature of these animals that, that you know they are utterly wild utterly uncontrollable We live in a society where we have plans and targets and management plans for everything. And these creatures just crash through all that and um, keep us sceptical because they're so difficult to catch up with. And so people actually like that mystery element and the complete wildness. And this is rewilding come to life Mm. in a random event. I think people take some delight actually out of that and that sort of deeper profound level. It's it's good for people's state of mind, perhaps. Shirley, yeah.
1: I'm just checking that we're going to mention something I know you've said before in other podcasts, but related to mental health, we have to recognise the benefit of nature. And you know, Annie mentioned lockdowns and people just wanting to get out and about. It's something that comes across on Facebook as much as it does on the podcast, that being interested in big cats means that people start learning about the whole range of British wildlife. It's a whole world of learning and just keeping your brain active. It's probably got people interested in all sorts of conservation and environmental issues as well. Got people to um, pay attention to a lot of stuff about the environment around us that a lot of people wouldn't have thought of before. So, yeah, huge positives. I, on balance, it's very good for people, I think, the whole big cat scene and Facebook scene.
0: Great. Yeah, the collateral benefits, especially if it can, if it can be your passport to learning more about the natural world around you. Okay, back to... Sightings reports, because we're going to have a quick update from Ireland, because it's all been kicking off in mid-South Ireland very recently, Annie, hasn't it? And you're going to give us a briefing of what you've heard via your Facebook group, I think, and we're not going to talk about exact locations, but you've got, um, we've got a couple of photos They are the more stereotype, grainy, distant ones, but they're still worth showing because they they actually illustrate what people have been talking about. So tell us what's happening in Ireland at the moment, Tony, the last couple of weeks this has been, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, that's right. This was actually reported in the Irish Facebook group. So again, going back to what we said, if it wasn't for Facebook, we wouldn't have known. But we're very pleased that somebody did actually take the time to report this. He very first saw this cat a year ago, was the first sighting by this guy. The guy who reported it in Facebook, it's it's a relation of his, it wasn't him personally. So he's just relaying it onto us because just the way it's working at the very moment, until this guy gets absolute proof, he doesn't want to actually talk to anybody himself, which is understandable, you know. But he said it was in a wooded area when he very first saw this cat and it was sat there grooming itself. He watched it for at least 10 minutes. He got a really good view. He took a picture, which I think you have. He then um, zoomed in on a laptop, and you can actually see the cat. He said it's a very light, sandy colour cat, extremely light, almost cream colour.
0: Annie, while we're talking, shall we look at that picture? This is the one where it's into the woodlands, and you can just see the, the shape of it without any detail. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. It then reappeared this middle of November. He says it is the same cat. It seems to alternate between two wooded areas fairly close together. So this guy is actually a hunter, so he knows what he's looking at. He said he first saw it with binoculars, got a good look, but then he's actually going to go out and get a trail cam out there and so hoping to get definitive sighting, mostly because the cat seems to be hanging around in the same area. But the second time this past weekend, it wasn't watched with just him. It was a complete family of people there who saw it. So they actually had a very good clear view of it, and they're very well aware that it's there. Understandably, they don't want to give a location.
0: Yeah, OK, we'll have a look at the pictures now then. Yeah, so this is the one where it's into the woods in the background and some people are going to say, oh, that's Peridolia." that's seeing a shape that you want to imagine in a yeah. picture like the man in the moon or faces in the clouds or whatever. But So this is the one where he saw it grooming itself, is that right?
2: Hmm, that's right, yeah. Like you can see, you can see that he's actually looking through the, uh, the sheep net fencing that surrounds a managed woodland. So you can actually see the fence in there. So it was a good ways in, and the wood itself was dark, but it was definitely there. He he stood there for you know a long, long time, at least ten minutes, watching it groom itself. It wasn't at all frightened, at all. Just sat there doing what it wanted to do. And then, like you say, he just then zoomed it on up into the other photograph this weekend.
0: Tell us about this one, Annie. This this lighter coloured image.
2: Yeah, this is what happened after he put it on to his laptop and zoomed in, and he got a much clearer image there. I know it's it's not perfect, but you can actually see the outline. You can see the ears. You know, you can see where the light is hitting it on one side of its face uh, and the front legs. So yeah, it's definite. I mean, he's just totally taken with it. He just wants definitive. To him, that's not good enough. I and mean, I I can see that point. You know. He wants daylight. He wants a good footage. But at least he got something, which is good. And it's also good that the cat is still in the same area there. It's not going off, you know. And he can also see this woodland from his house. It's quite difficult for me to actually relay it because it's not my sighting. It's a little bit hard.
0: Sure. Very good of him to allow these photos out. And again, we can put them on the website. This second one, we're looking at A sort of hazy, fuzzy, almost looks like a white lynx if you're going to claim it's a cat. And I can quite see why somebody would claim it's a cat. You said he was going to put trail cameras up, Annie. And obviously, if it's in a local woodland that's within walking distance from him, that's going to be very straightforward to do. So he's got a chance, hopefully.
2: I think he does have a chance, actually. Rick. Yeah, he's going to put trail cameras up in both woods, I think. They're just separated by a field or a couple of fields between them. And I don't think they're very... Large woods. So he does stand a chance of, of hopefully getting something. And like I say, he can actually see that from his house, the woodland. So he's going to watch it like a hawk, which you can't blame him.
0: Good stuff. And you were saying after Lar, we had Lar on the um, podcast recently, about two or three months ago, that sightings like Lar's and this sort of episode that's happening now in Ireland, it uh, helps sort of galvanise and um, stir up interest in the Ireland Facebook group because there's nothing like sightings to get people sort of revved up and chatting, is there?
2: Yeah, Lar's sighting was just phenomenal, I thought. But this this picture here that we're looking at now, That's actually a good distance away from Lara. Uh, Lara's cat was black. This is very, very light colour. There is actually an awful lot going on in Ireland at the moment as regards trading. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's an awful lot of cats out there.
0: Thank you, Annie. We'll keep in touch with the island scene, hopefully on more podcasts through 2022 and uh, we're going to finish up with a photo that we've been allowed to show that was from Herefordshire we're looking at what seems to be a relatively small black cat but with an astonishingly long tubular tail and very muscular sort of thigh hindquarters and this was shot in Herefordshire january 2019 and what happened here was that the gentleman who has released this for us to show very kindly he was a keeper for a landowner and the landowner was basically fed up of a big black cat big black panther on the land that was seen sometimes and they were sure it was responsible for too many sheep kills too, in fact they were they were older lambs in fact and the keeper was asked by the landowner to shoot the cat if he saw it There was one much bigger than this one, so only one was shot, and this seems to be a younger one, perhaps the cub of the larger one, and this gentleman said he didn't really want to shoot it, but his client, his landowner, who contracted him to be the keeper for the land, requested him to do so, so when he got a chance he did. And this one we're seeing was disposed of immediately because the landowner realised there could be some comeback and it wasn't very awkward. So it was actually, I think, burnt immediately before any hairs or any other samples were taken from it, which could have been helpful for identifying it. But you can see, I think, there that it's a very significant cat, uh, whatever it is. Candidate might be a very young black leopard, but can't say that for sure at all, but uh, very interesting. And... The uh, gentleman who sent us this photograph said he still regrets it, So, uh, but but he may as well make use of the photo. You can see the scale, I think, by his plier devices there at the front and, and his foot at the back, and that tubular tail is as long as the body, I think. So any comments from you guys on seeing this? I know I showed you a few pictures, including this one, before we started, but this is the first time, really, you're seeing it. We're not trying to ID it, and people can make their own judgments on it, but very interesting to see. So any thoughts and comments? Um, Annie first, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I was just looking at the head, actually. The head looks very rounded to me. The head looks big, as well as the tail. Like you say, the tubular tail gives it away as to, to what it is most likely to be. I know when my cat lies down and stretches out like that, my domestic cat, she looks very different to that. <laughs> you know, she's big. She is big, but she's she looks very different to that. If my husband was to put his boot like that behind her, it would be totally different scale-wise. So I just find that very, very interesting.
0: I think the difficulty is we've only got one view. I think more a couple more photos mm. were taken. The, the, this photo was sent to me about a year after the event. I think those two other photos couldn't be found on the guy's computer, but at least we've got this one. So it's a shame we're not seeing it from different angles and haven't got the head in, in better view. But uh, And, of course, we are making the assumption it's a young one. It, it, you know, One could argue it's not a young one. It's a full-grown one, in which case it's even more weird if it's not a cub or a young one. There we go. We'll never know because there's no way, really, of um, IDing it for sure. But, um, Shirley, what are your first thoughts? I was
1: going to say the word weird as well because i think it's an interesting photo because it it's not easy to id i think the if you look at just the front half or front third you could easily say well that's small and skinny and that's a domestic cat and and then yeah you get to the back end and it's long and the legs the back legs are huge and the tail's huge so if it's a domestic cat it's a very weird one with an enlarged rear end or if it's a, like you said, juvenile black leopard, it's very skinny and maybe kind of not, or he hadn't been eating very well, but it's a strange creature. Or you might, I know, I was trying to think of other odd cats, other odd misfits. I remember reading about melanistic servals. You know, it's not one of those because of, you know, the ears would be all wrong and so on, no. but it's.
0: And the tail length, yeah.
1: It's odd, isn't it? And And also, you know, if it's young, the the coat doesn't look like it. it's in a very good condition. And you could say, well, is that is that because of the time of year and what's being molted? Or is it that it's just not a very healthy cat? Or is it just a bit scruffy because it's just been running about and then it got shot? So but it's just a very difficult picture. And, and as you say, the angle's not great. It'd be good to see the face. So yeah, it's a conversation starting picture.
0: Exactly. What he actually said was, the informant, the provider of the photo was he was surprised that he didn't feel it was in that good condition actually looking at it mm-hmm. we know that there was a bigger one that was the the culprit that the, the sheep killing, lamb killing culprit at the time so it was this the, the youngster involved in, in that so there's that to it. I think interesting about the tail length and and it's so super long Mm. because uh, I had a podcast listener who often makes very good points to me and he said uh, how interesting that people never come away from a zoo talking about the tails of cats it's not a feature that you notice if you go and watch leopards in a zoo but once people report them in the wild in the British Isles so many people notice the long tubular tail and my response was yeah that's because If people were seeing jaguars or tigers, for example, in the British countryside, they wouldn't talk about their tails because tigers, or especially jaguars, which could be another candidate for black cats here if the the jaguars were black, do not have noticeably long tails. But leopards do, and pumas, uh, the sandy brown ones, also have noticeably long thick tails. So maybe that reinforces the fact that people are seeing leopard-like or leopard or puma-like or puma cats. So... I think that this long tail is so significant on this one. And I think what I'd also say is that we shouldn't always judge a photo or bit of video of a cat by its scale. It's so much its form and its features that are important as well because it might be a small individual, it might be a young individual. Mm. Again, it's, it's a conversation, is it? We're not trying to make a definitive statement or definitive identity, but I think this is a significant photograph. We're very grateful to this gentleman for releasing the photo and he's very definitely very regretful of the act of shooting it. We're certainly not promoting shooting them. You know That was just the circumstances he was in for this to have happened but it's here for us to see now as a result. Now, straight after that section discussing the Herefordshire cat, I'm adding another separate comment from the recording with Annie and Shelley that we're listening to. That is because when studying the photo again with them, During our Zoom video link-up, I realised I hadn't established if the cat's body had any markings or spots, and that is so fundamental, of course, and it was remiss of me not to have checked earlier when I first received the photo. I thought that there might be potential shadow spots visible on the thigh area of the cat, but I also felt it could be a result of confirmation bias, with me actively looking for them too much. So I went back to the provider of the photo and asked him about potential spots. He consolidated his previous answer to me, and he confirmed that the cat's body was four and a half feet from nose to tail, ten and a half kilos in weight, and in his words, what stood out were the muscles in its head and jaws, plus spots which you could clearly see. Annie and Shelley were certainly disadvantaged in our conversation by not having that information. I've since informed them of the news about the spots on the cat's body. They both agree that this is an important new fact and it does strengthen the case for the photo possibly showing a young black leopard. In thinking of alternatives, Bengal cats come in black and their marbled markings are still visible within the black shade but they don't have an extraordinarily long and tubular tail as we see in this photograph. Likewise a black savannah cat could have visible heavier shaded markings but again it doesn't fit this description especially given the length of the tail of the Herefordshire cat. So my apologies for the late explanation of this extra point and as Shelley said this one certainly is a conversation starter. While I'm doing this voiceover near the end of the episode we have three other things to mention. First Shelley stated that she had a sighting of a black blob in Northumberland, one option for which could have been a big black cat. Well, to tease her further, right on cue, a couple of days after the recording, the Northeast Press carried recent footage of an alleged black panther-like cat in the Northumberland countryside. In case you've not seen it, we've put a link to that one on the website for this episode. The tail of that one does appear shorter than expected for a leopard-like cat, but generally that footage has received some fairly positive reaction in the feedback to me, so judge for yourself on the website. Second, as I speak on the 30th December 2021, Shelley reports that she has received 10 more reports for her follow-up survey via Facebook, and that's since we did the recording in mid-December. The sightings are still coming through to her and the sample is growing. No doubt we can catch up with Shirley on this and other things in the future. And final point. As often happens, December is turning out to be a busy month for credible sighting reports of large cats here in Britain. I've received some, and I know Facebook has been busy with others. Amongst this activity, there's been a notable incident of a witness seeing a big black cat actually pursue and bring down a deer in Somerset. That one was just before Christmas. The witness on that incident is a veterinary physiotherapist and so is well-placed to tell the difference between a dog's locomotion and that of a cat, because sometimes dogs could be mis chasing after a deer and people thinking it's a cat in pursuit. Also, I'm very pleased to say that we'll be able to hear direct about that event because the informant has agreed to be a guest on Big Cat Conversations in the new year. So we're looking forward to that one especially. And now back to Annie and Shelley and the final segment of our recording in mid-December. OK, right, well, we are petering out. Final point, um, Annie, any, anything you'd like to say to um, reflect on what we've been talking about?
2: No, apart from the fact it's been very good to talk, actually. It's very good to discuss and chat through the whole thing regarding Facebook and the pluses and the minuses. That's, that's very good. I think that means, needs to be brought to attention. And we're able to talk without getting heated. <laughs> so like we say, we we try to keep order within our groups, and that is important. but I think as a whole, I think it's it's brilliant that we get to hear these sightings mostly through Facebook. I know you get them, you're sent to you yourself, Rick, but the only way that I would get to hear them really is through Facebook. So yeah, I think it's been good. and I, and I love Shelley's survey. I think that's just amazing. the the response, the difference of what people have seen. That was quite surprising to me, actually. Yeah, well done.
0: Yes. Thank you, Annie. Last point from you, Shelley.
1: I'd echo Annie. I think the podcast needed to consider Facebook because it is an increasingly important kind of platform and world for the big cat scene. And it is more and more where people seem to be going and using and and also I think what's lovely about it is the anonymity potentially. You know, people can join a a Facebook group and not share that with their other Facebook friends. And they don't have to tell immediate family or anyone they know that they're in this big cat group and they're sharing uh sharing what they've seen or what they're interested in. And it just makes it a really safe place. And I think that's why we get such interesting stuff and such interesting conversations. Think we're probably just beginning to uncover all the various things that people have seen or encountered um as people become more comfortable sharing i feel like it's a it's a growing world and that's a good thing yeah and we're all pretty nice we all get on well enough i think it's wonderful <laughs>
0: Good stuff. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, and I guess it's just going to evolve like social media evolves, doesn't it? And has mm. new sort of manifestations of things. And I think the other challenge and, and difficulty for Facebook on big cat sightings is there. it's such a multidisciplinary topic, big cats, because you could be interested and you could have a sighting or want to discuss about it if you are into wild camping or if you're a deer stalker or if you're an ecologist or, mm-hmm. or a mammal expert or a forester. And any of those people will have occasionally subtopics on big cats for big cat discussions in their own camps and their own networks. And that is one of the problems that Facebook big cat sightings is never going to be comprehensive because there are so many other sectors of people talking about it in their own groups and networks yeah. and, and sometimes they don't want to break ranks they don't want to swap over to talk about it with other people so that again is the difficulty of this topic especially because it's so awkward and sensitive you just tend to chat amongst your people that you trust and know and your own peer group and so I think that remains a challenge for Facebook big cat groups. I think at the end of the day it's it's so nice when somebody local can get to a sighting uh the location or the person and follow up and talk to the person and help that person if they want to and if if facebook is helping that happen that's great if it's preventing that happening sometime then that needs to be looked at as well i think to be honest because um you know but before it happened some people would sometimes look out a local recorder and they would do do that work if it's stopping that happening that's an issue but hopefully as more of it is happening as a result mm. okay absolutely Thank you so much for your time. We didn't get called out by a baby and we didn't get called out by my dog.
2: Or mine.
0: (laughs) Yes, we've all got dogs at our heels here. Just a final point to say what's coming next on this podcast, because we have soon we have a guest from India, leopard expert from India, Sanjay Gubbi, and he was attacked by a leopard. Not only does he advise people on living safely with leopards, he got when he was trying to recover one that got trapped in the school, he got attacked by it. So we'll hear about that. That's coming up probably in February, and the very next episode in January will be an update from Scotland, the sightings and incidents that happened in 2021. And uh, we're also going to have a catch up with Frank Tunbridge at the end of that to um, talk about Jim Corbett in India extracts from jim corbett's leopards and tigers and historical books from india and uh, also frank's had a lot of reports this year through the media uh, because he's been in the media a lot we're going to catch up with him on a couple of highlights from those as well so coming your way on big cat conversations so meantime thanks from our two guests for your time take care and all the best thanks for listening to big cat conversations